It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Dr. Clapper. In sports, there's winning and losing and getting injured. That's why there's Dr. Clapper. Dr. Clapper is the former head of orthopedic surgery at Cedar Sinai. The Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper, presented by Cedar Sinai. Hey, Dr. Clapper. How are you? Saturday mornings from 7 to 9. Silence is golden when you can't think of a good answer. <laughs> yes, Doc, I love your show. Now, here he is, Dr. Robert Clapper. Good morning, Los Angeles. And welcome to another edition of the Weekend Warrior Show. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Clapper. I'm an orthopedic surgeon at Cedars-Sinai. 33 years. Wow. The lines are already lit up, Will. Look at all the phone calls already. Yeah, I'm even giving the number out. I love it. I'm so excited for my guests at 815. Thanks to the great Dave Davis, who wrote a phenomenal book called Waterman. They decided in Hollywood to make a movie about his book. And the men who made this movie, which will be opening here in Los Angeles, are going to be my guests at 8.15. You've listened to me talk for the last 12 years on this station every Saturday morning about my passion for the world of surgery, being an orthopedic surgeon, my passion for art, I'm a sculptor, and my passion for sports, I'm a huge Laker fan. Although, what an abomination this season is. But for me personally, the greatest sport is surfing. And the father of surfing was the Hawaiian Duke Kahanamoku, who literally took the surfboard from the ashes. When they came to Hawaii, Captain Cook and the missionaries decided, hey, these folks need a religion. You can't speak Hawaiian you got to put clothes on. You can't surf naked anymore. And by the way, you can't surf anymore. That's what happened to the ancient customs and culture of the Hawaiians. But it was Duke Hanamoku who said, I'm going to take that surfboard out of the bonfire they set and keep it alive. And he did. This story, yes, he was an Olympic swimmer. That's where the notoriety came from. But wait till you hear the story of how he did it, why he did it, and the very fact that he shaped a vehicle, a surfboard, to ride the ocean waves. There's no surf shop. You can't buy a surfboard in the turn of the century. So every one of them he had to build. So today's show is about three of those surfboards. One that he built in Hawaii himself from a plank of wood. One that he built in Australia when he visited Australia in 1914. And a surfboard he built in Corona del Mar in 1925 that's in the Heritage Museum. And so it made me think all week. This story of resurrecting a vehicle to ride waves. Well, there are other kind of waves other than the waves in the ocean. There's waves everywhere 
In fact, you're listening to me on the radio right now with sound waves. So where in the world of art do we see this story of resurrection of an ancient craft to ride waves? Well, in art, it's music. And who rescued something in music that allows you to ride the sound waves? Well, listen to this song. That's right. This is 1965. This is the Beatles. The name of the song is Norwegian Wood. This is the first time Western ears are hearing a musical instrument from India called the sitar. Well, the sitar was rescued by a man named Ravi Shankar. And it's so interesting. George Harrison of the Beatles, in making that movie Help, one of the scenes had some folks from India with exotic instruments, including this sitar, that piqued his interest. And then he started to hear about the greatest player of the sitar was Ravi Shankar. The story of how Ravi Shankar and George Harrison teamed up to pull out of the ashes for the Western ears, for us to hear this ancient way to ride sound waves, is the exact same story of courage, of spirituality, of Duke Hanamoku. And you know how much I love the world of surgery. Well, yesterday, one of the surgeries I did, and I put it on Twitter, at Dr. Robert Clapper, and on Instagram, I did a surgery, a hip surgery, in a young person, because I see so many, 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds, I don't want to do a hip replacement. I want to save the bone. Well, a Los Angeles surgeon, he's since passed away, trained at the Hospital for Special Surgery, where I trained and was the boss at UCLA for many years, Harlan Amstutz, rescued an operation called a surface replacement where you just resurface the cartilage in the hip. Trust me, it's a hard operation to do. There are not that many folks, not many surgeons, even world-class hip surgeons stay away because it's that hard. It's tricky. But I took it upon myself to learn this operation, and I did one yesterday. I put the x-ray, actually, on Twitter so you get to see it. There's something special, something deep about rescuing something that's worthy of the rescue from the past. And that's what today's show is. Here's another song that will pique your interest that you know you heard before, but maybe you never realized it's a... It's a way to ride waves, sound waves, brought to us via George Harrison and Ravi Shankar. It's called Love You Too. That is the sea call. That's right. can't talk. A surfboard can't make any sounds. But if it could, 
This is what a surfboard sounds like, feels like. the sitar and that is a special instrument rescued by george harrison this week i took thursday off and guess what i did i went surfing my buddies didn't want to go into the water it was choppy windy it's true it was after a rain the water looked like chocolate milk but that's besides the point Bumpy, choppy, windy. But I got the day off, and you know I'm going in the ocean. So I took a surfboard built in Hawaii for me. In the tradition of Duke Hanamoku, it's 11 feet tall. Can you imagine? The basket that the Lakers play on is 10 feet. It's a foot taller than a basket. Three redwood stringers, four inches thick. It's a massive surfboard. Perfect for windy, choppy waves, as far as I'm concerned. Keeps me further away from the polluted chocolate milk water. I schlepped that board on my shoulder down the staircase and pushed it into the waves. The chop, the wind. It was like an old-style Lincoln Continental. I love this board. And I paddled out, and for two hours, I felt like Duke Hanamoku. Because this board was shaped by a pure Hawaiian in Hawaii. And I shipped it back here. Just so that I have the soulfulness, the feeling of what it's like to have this show today. To talk about Duke Hanamoku. But I want you to hear more about the story of rescuing. And why you rescue from the past. That sitar, that surfboard, that Birmingham hip surface replacement. Listen to George Harrison. It's um, very deep music and everlasting. It's not music that comes one day and is gone the next day. It has a deep spiritual meaning. And uh, it also has in the classical music that Ravi plays, not on this record, but his music with sitar and tabla, has incredible improvisation. Mm, interesting. Indian music, but this music, which is different spiritual music, all based upon the old Sanskrit uh, mantras and prayers, is something which I think is good for the well-being of people. Mm. And my involvement, because I'm Ravi's friend for many years, and I just helped to produce it because I'd like to be able to help him make it a little easier for him to work. This is George Harrison of the Beatles trying to explain how it hit him the very first time he heard the sitar. And also because it's selfish, I like to be in a position where I can hear the music uh, very closely and many times because I believe it gives a benefit to the inside it's, it gets good benefit by hearing this music. <laughs> to your soul. Uh, in about 1965, I listened to, uh, I heard his name mentioned. 
No, somebody mentioned Ravi Shankar, and I, it's just an unusual name, and then somebody else mentioned it. By the time I heard his name two or three times, I thought, mm. I just thought I have to go and buy the records. So I went out and bought some records that were available, put the music on, and it just transported me into some other place. It was like some ancient voice was speaking to me. That's what happened to me on Thursday. Riding an 11-foot Hawaiian board in the chop in the wind. It transported me over those ocean waves, just like listening to the sitar transported George Harrison and then the rest of us. Well, it gave my life some real direction and depth because uh, although I was only 22 years old, I'd already experienced in those previous years more than most people experience in a life. You're a beetle. No, more um, just bigger and more people and just more of everything. And I was at a point where I needed something that was real because most stuff in this world isn't real. And it's, um, you know, it's not lasting. And I wanted something that would give me, you know, hook me into something, some reality. Hmm. It's the fact that I'm involved with it is that's all I need to know. I mean, as I say, I heard his name. Now let's listen to the voice of Ravi Shankar explaining the rescue, the reason. It's like hearing Dukahanamoku talk, which you'll hear coming up next. My music was known already because I was before 10 years uh, I came and I was playing all over, you know, in South Lael and uh, and everywhere. So I was very well known in the classical Yeah, but nobody ever heard of you. Circle. But uh, this uh, connection with George, immediately it had an effect, like explosion, you know, mm-hmm. among the young kids who were his admirers. They immediately found uh, me or discovered me. We discovered you, Ravi, because of George Harrison and the Beatles. I think that is something which George gave the hint. Uh, It is not the speed or the virtuosity or the playfulness or the happiness which many music has, starting from Paganini's or jazz, or name it, I mean, speed and excitement you find in so many, but it doesn't stay. After some time you shout, you go crazy, but when you go home you might forget it. It lasts. But our music has this specialty, which, because it has been handed down from person to person, it's an oral tradition, it's not a written down music, and it is also improvised all the time. So all this gives a special thing in our music and the guru passes not just the technique or the fixed things of music but the whole spiritual uh, aspect. All the meaning of life, philosophy, everything is passed along with the music. It's deep. It lasts. Worth rescuing. And for all of us to be able to hear it. All of us to be able to now ride the ocean waves, listen to those sound waves. That's what today's show is about. The folks who actually changed our lives by rescuing something from the past. 
In Norwegian wood, it was the first time Western ears ever heard the sitar. Coming up next, you're going to hear about three surfboards, Hawaiian, Australian, and here in California that Duke Hanamoku shaped with his own hands and how he changed the world, allowing us to not only listen to sound waves, but in his world, ride the waves, the ocean waves. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN. What's going on? It's Max. You know there's no better way to start your Saturday morning than with my friend Dr. Clapper and the Weekend Warrior Show. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. It's time for Clapper Killies. Start your weekend <laughs> off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Where has this been my whole life? Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. Thank you, Will, for playing the sitar from Love You Too from the Beatles. George Harrison playing that sitar, but he learned it from his guru, Ravi Shankar. That's how you learn it, one-on-one. It's got to be passed down. But what a sound it makes. This is what my heart feels like when I ride the ocean waves. The sitar riding the sound waves. Mm. Don't forget about food. We got to talk about rescuing something from the past. Guess what I ate this week? That reminds me of the surfboard, the sitar, the rescuing from the past. A donut, a donut rescued from the past, an old-fashioned donut with chocolate dripped all over it. Oh, my God. I put a picture of it on Twitter. You can see it, but I'll tell you where you can get the greatest old-fashioned donut I've ever eaten. But first, let's talk about Duke Hanamoku. This is what happened. So let me just take you back. 1912. He's breaking records and wins a gold medal at the Stockholm Olympics. But here's what happened. It was a glitch. Some crazy rule that knocked him out of the preliminaries. And they, and again, his skin was dark. This is 1912. They're not that happy that America has a dark-skinned swimmer. So in 1912, they're looking for reasons not to let him compete. But a gentleman, an angel from above, the greatest swimmer in 1912 in the world was from Australia. His name was Cecil Healy. And he said to the Stockholm Olympics, you want me to swim in this big meet because I'm the fastest guy in the world? Well, I ain't going to swim. I'm not going to swim unless I beat the best. And the man I need to meet is that American with the dark skin that you don't want to let compete, Duke Kahanamoku. They said, too bad. He said, well, then too bad for you. I ain't swimming. And he put his foot down. And they had to concede. So they let Duke swim. And guess what happened? Duke Kahanamoku broke the world record and beat that Australian. They became fast friends out of mutual respect. So when the Olympics were over, guess where Duke Hanamoku goes? 
he goes to meet his buddy now from Australia. He takes a ship and you're not flying. There's no planes yet to Australia. And in 1914, he goes to Australia to do swimming expeditions for Cecil Healy. The country goes crazy. But Duke Hanamoku gets bored. And all these ocean waves in Australia are going off. But there's no surfing. There's no surfboards. Oh, you got to hear this story. So where exactly did this crazy thing called surfing really come from? In large part from this man and this board. Here is the legend of Duke Hanamoku and the board that he rode into history. Duke Kahanamoku was born in 1890. Like many other Hawaiian boys, he had been named for the Duke of Edinburgh, who had visited the islands in 1886. As a teenager, he helped resurrect the ancient Polynesian sport of surfing, which had been suppressed during the colonial period. So here he comes to Australia to pay his respect to his buddy. After his Olympic triumph in Sweden, he continued to globetrot. Around Christmas Day, 1914, he reached Sydney, Australia. He was here for what they called the Kahanamaku Carnivals, which was, was swimming exhibitions, and he went around the country swimming. But after a while, he was bored with mere swimming. The 25-year-old Duke wanted to surf. Problem was, nobody had ever surfed down under. Although Australia was surrounded by wide beaches with shapely waves, nobody was riding them. Unless you counted the sharks. Yeah, they were afraid. There's no surfing. There's no surfboards. Since there were no surfers, there were no boards. Not a problem for Duke, who was used to carving his own. Kahanamoku ordered a length of sugar pine from a local hardware store. He then went to work with carving tools and in a few hours had fashioned a serviceable board. It was shaped like a bullet and was about as subtle. It had no fins. It was big, eight and a half feet long and heavy. Quite amazing. Weighs about 65, 70 pounds. It's very heavy. Anyone who's ever lifted it would know how heavy it is. On January 15, 1915, he hauled the board out to Freshwater Beach, just north of Sydney. Freshwater seems a spot made for drama, a long tongue of the sea surrounded by high cliffs. In this natural amphitheater, a large crowd had gathered, presumably to watch Duke and his outlandish board being served to the sharks like an appetizer on a cracker. Instead, he splashed into the surf and expertly caught a wave. It was the first time on record that a man stood upright on a board in the Australian surf. And that board is probably the most cherished item in all of Australia. That's board number one. Now let's talk about board number two, a board he makes 10 years later here in Corona Del Mar in California. The board he makes in Australia is in a museum. The board he makes in 1925 in, in California is also in a museum. Listen to Henry Ford and Paul Straub talk about this board. Paul, this uh, we're standing in front of, I mean, history here. I, I get fur on the back of my neck whenever we get around Duke Hanamoko and what he gave to the world, and that was surfing, and this board here. Yeah, there's a lot to be said about it. Duke was the father of modern surfing. He really put surfing on the map. Prior to him becoming 
well known for his surfing prowess in Waikiki Beach, it was really reserved for the ali'i or the royalty, those in Hawaiian uh, hierarchy. They were the only ones allowed to surf. But Duke really brought it forward in a new era after the missionaries got there. And, and uh, yeah, he's responsible for the growth of surfing. After the missionaries destroyed all the culture, but he rescued it. This sport is very special because it was uh, created here in California at Corona Del Mar in the 20s. And two brothers, the Voltaire brothers, which were aeronautical engineers. And this board was actually shaped by Duke on the beach at Corona Del Mar, I believe, in the 20s. Uh, 1925, I believe. Yeah. So Duke was, at 1925, he was, he was born in 1890, so that would make him 35 years old. Well, he basically had come here in uh, 1912, I guess, uh, during his tour with the Olympic uh, mm-hmm. team. And from that point on, Duke really becomes the surfing ambassador to the world. He goes to Australia, he travels around, and he really just gives the world this great gift, this gift of being able to ride waves and, and surfing in, at the beaches. And uh, he's the man. He literally gives the gift because he shapes out of wood with his own hands the board in Australia, the board in Corona del Mar, but let's not forget his home, where he doesn't make them eight and a half feet long, he makes them 16 feet long, and they weigh 110 pounds. You'll hear him speak, actually, to Bruce Brown, my dear friend and patient. Rest in peace, Bruce Brown. But listen to Bruce Brown in the 60s interviewing Duke Hanamoku and talking about the board he shaped to ride the longest ride in history, a mile and an eighth. Ugh. But just hear how kind and gentle. It's like listening to Ravi Shankar and George Harrison, a man who can rescue something from the past for all of us to benefit. Duke Hanamoku. Duke, it's a real honor to be here on your island for this Invitational Surfing Championship. Well, Bruce, I'm glad you came to Hawaii. For those of you who may not know all about Duke, back in 1911, he jumped in the Honolulu Harbor, swam a 100-yard freestyle, and broke the existing world's record by four and a half seconds. He went on to compete in four Olympic Games, spanning a period of 20 years, won many gold medals. I've always been curious, Duke, was it more of a thrill for you to win those Olympic Games or ride some of those giant waves at Castle Surf I know you used to ride. Oh, they're pretty, uh, both are quite thrilled, but I think this surfing is much more to me the greatest thrill of my life. He's ride one of these big surf with the heavy board, weighs about 114 pounds and about 16 feet long. There's a story of Duke riding a wave at Waikiki one day for a mile and an eighth. It's a legend over here in Hawaii and so is the Duke. The deepness of what he's done, the connection, the spirituality. Listen to Ravi Shankar talk about the sitar in the same way with George Harrison. And without knowing technically or understanding, this does have an effect on a listener, even if it's absolutely new. And I felt it from the very beginning. Well, yes, it is. That's what it is in, I think, classical Indian music. They have an expression which is um, Nadha Brahma, which means... Nadha Brahma, which means uh, sound is God. Sounds of God. I see God in the ocean, 
And I see him in the operating room. Those are the places I see him in my life. The board will help you get there, and the sitar will help you hear it. Coming up next, we'll do some clap revision. We'll open the clinic. We'll do the where there's a will, there's a way. We got a lot to do. Painting pictures in your mind of how your body works with words. That's clap revision. The number is 877-710-ESPN. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN. This is Keyshawn in the morning. My man, Dr. Clapper, and the Weekend Warrior Show starts your Saturday morning. Join the doc from 7 to 9 a.m. But don't miss my show, Monday morning on 710 ESPN. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. It's the most entertaining thing in the world. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. From schwitzing like a piece of tuna fish. Every Saturday morning from <laughs> 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN. 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's another sitar. Well, it ain't the Beatles to bring to our ears, the Western ears. That ancient Indian instrument, the sitar. The Rolling Stones did it as well, just like the Beatles. But we got to give George Harrison credit for bringing Ravi Shankar to the forefront, just like we've got to give Duke Ahanamoku credit for bringing the surfboard to ride the ocean waves. We got to give the great Dr. Harlan Amstutz in orthopedic surgery the surface replacement. Rescue it from the past. Let's do some calls. Uh, let's go to Francis. You're on with Dr. Clapper. How can I help? Hey, Dr. Clapper. Good morning. How are you doing today? I'm, I'm good. How young are you? What do you do for a living? I am 43 years old. I work for a corporate office at a bank, so I sit in, in on my chair for eight hours a day. Where'd you grow up? What high school? What'd your father do for a living? <laughs> I grew up in uh, Southern California, Los Angeles. Um, I grew up in the L.A. metro area. Um, mom was both my mom and my dad. Um, and what so about high school? Where did you go to high school? I went to two high schools, Lock High School in South L.A. and Huntington Park High School in Huntington Park. Okay. How come you did two high schools? Why didn't you stay at the first one? Because uh, we moved to Huntington Park, so I had to that walk That must have been tough, to- right? You have to make new friends, start all over again. Were people yeah. nice to you or they give you a hard time? <laughs> No, I just pretty quickly. I met some uh, a couple of cool guys, and and my my friendship circles grew, and um, it was a, it was a good adjustment. When I went to uh, first eight years of my life, I went to an Orthodox yeshiva. Can you imagine? My parents didn't believe in God. We had lobster and ham in the refrigerator, but I sent was sent to an Orthodox yeshiva for eight years. Can you imagine? Finally, I said, "I'm running away from home. This is ridiculous." I, I so I went to the public <laughs> high school first day, and the I entered high school in ninth grade, not 10th grade like you're supposed to, in ninth grade. So I'm with all the people that got thrown out of private schools. And I'm in this school with a bunch of thugs, basically. First day of school, this guy comes up and he goes, hey, you look like you're a smart guy. I look at this guy. Oh, my God. He says, uh, how'd you like to buy a telescope? I said, a telescope? You know, why you want me to? You, know, you look like a, a smart guy. You probably want a telescope. I go, okay, how much it is? He goes, $10. I go, $10 for a telescope? That sounds like a good price. What kind of telescope? What brand is it? He stops. He looks at me. goes, I don't know. We just saw it through the window last night. They're basically going to break into the store and give me the, sell me the telescope. What a lovely place I went to high school. New York City school system at its finest. But I adjusted pretty well. <laughs> 
Anyway, how can I help you, Francis? What did you do to yourself? So I, I hurt my left knee playing a sport. Um, I got an MRI. Uh, I got the report as well as the visuals. So 42 I years old, for- read me the impression slowly so I can interrupt you with clapper vision. Go ahead. Sure. So it, it says there is a slightly displaced radial tear of the body of the lateral meniscus. Mm-hmm. There is no medial meniscal tear. Mm-hmm. There is a displaced meniscal fragment identifying, identified within the joint space posterior mm-hmm. laterally. Mm-hmm. There is a non-displaced fracture of the fibular head with moderate degree of trabecular bone edema. Did you have a fall? Did you have an accident? Yeah, well, I, I kind of got tackled um, when we weren't supposed to be tackled, and I when I, I don't remember much. I, I know that when I hit the ground, my, my knee was hurting. How long ago uh-huh. did this happen, Francis? Two weeks ago. Okay, so guess what? You broke your fibula head. It doesn't need surgery. You don't need plates and screws. Can you fully straighten and fully flex and bend your knee? Um, not bend. I, I, the, the, I'm not really worried about the fracture. Uh, uh, that's going to heal on its own. Correct. According to the doctor. Correct. He's it's right. More of the minuscule radio tear. Um, this is what I would worried. say to you, Francis. You're not a 22 year old. You're a 42 year old. If you can yeah. fully straighten your knee and ultimate two weeks is too soon and fully flex your knee, you can work towards that. And you don't need a therapist right now. You need to heal. You need people to leave you alone, actually. Please do not let them inject cortisone or stem cells or PRP. No cockamamie needles into your knee. Please be holistic. There's a book I wrote with Lindy Yui called Heal Your Knees. You should get a copy. It'll show you okay. terrific exercises to do. Yes, if you... I don't know, uh, six weeks, eight weeks, uh, or 12 weeks, a reasonable amount of time. God forbid you don't fully flex two, three months from now. That's a different story. Then you would benefit from an arthroscopy to clean up some of the fragments. But at 42 years old, you need, even though they're not great, those meniscus tears you have, but at least it's a cushion. You don't want anyone at 42 years old touching your meniscus unless you can't fully straighten or bend your knee. So you got nothing but beautiful time. Plus, you got a fracture, which needs to be left alone anyway. I would be extremely optimistic, Francis, that if you give this time walking in the pool, riding a stationary bike on your own and not having physical therapy, you will beat the system. Here's the visual. Here's the clapper vision I want to leave you with, Francis. You know what clapper vision is? Uh, Yeah. You listen to the show. You know what I'm talking about? You basically have a fresh blister in your knee. That's why it hurts. But you've had plenty of blisters. Guess what happens? You keep rubbing the blister. It becomes a callus. And guess what, Francis? It doesn't hurt anymore. Who cares what the skin looks like in the palm of your hand? If it doesn't hurt anymore, I'm happy. I would be extremely optimistic that you will not need surgery for this knee. But be holistic. No. No shots. Give it time to heal. Walk in the water half an hour, forwards and backwards, three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. Ride a stationary bike for 10 minutes. Work your way up to a half an hour. That's how I would get you to get better. If not, if you can't straighten or bend two, three months, that's different than you can have a scope. Okay? Okay. Thank you, doctor. Um, One other quick question for you. Um, 
If let's the say answer that is veal parmesan, by the way. I didn't, I didn't hear the question yet, but the answer is veal parmesan. Well, you were about to ask me what my last meal on earth would be because the answer is veal parmesan. What's the other question you have? Uh, let's say that I do need surgery. Um, the doctor said that only five. I don't want to talk about it. Forget. No, 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 no. Everybody. Listen, everyone has an agenda. You know what my agenda is? The, the softest pillow to sleep on at night is a clear conscience. You care to have a clear conscience. I this broken medical system we live in only pays a surgeon, which is me. If I operate on you, I don't get paid to tell you not to have surgery. But you know what? Too bad. You have to do the right thing in life. So I'm telling you what to do. Don't argue with me. All right? Okay. All right, doctor. Now, Francis, you're a total stranger to me. I want you to find a total stranger today. You do something nice for them. That's how you be thanking me. Okay? Will do. All right. God bless you. All right. We have time for one more. We've got so many calls here. Yes, we do. Who you want, Will? Uh, We'll take uh, J.C., J.C., you're on with Dr. Clapper. Oh, my God, J.C., as in Jesus Christ, is he calling in from Bethlehem? <laughs> no. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> By the way, have you ever been to Israel? Have you ever been to Israel, no, J.C.? Okay. My sister has. You know how you ride around on the, the San Diego freeway, which has nothing to do with San Diego, by the way? Or you you ride around, <laughs> yes. they put up these signs like next exit is uh, Wilshire Boulevard. You know what? When you go to Israel. You drive on that freeway. They have a sign, just like you have here, to get off on Wilshire Boulevard. You know what it says? Next exit, Bethlehem. Are you kidding me? Wait, and then there's another one. Next exit, Nazareth. Can you imagine? And that's that's not Nazareth, Pennsylvania, or Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. That's the Nazareth. That means Jesus, when he was driving in his car, he got off that exit to go home. Basically, that's what that means. Anyway, it's an honor and pleasure to talk to someone named JC. I'm all excited already, particularly from a guy oh, who went to glad. Orthodox Yeshiva, which I love. How oh, can I right, help right, you? Right. How can I help you, young lady? Well, I am 44 years old. I work as a plant manager at an elementary, oh. and I I fell at work Uh-oh. Uh, over this little, that little seed pot that's like the size of a golf ball. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh, and uh, t- uh, rolled my ankle, then my knee went this way, ankle went that way. Uh-oh. So I already had, an- I already had a, I already have a, um, a plate and screws in my ankle. Maybe that's what saved the ankle, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But my, now my knee is, uh. Did you get an MRI in your knee? I did. Do you have the, in yes, front of you with the impression? Yes, Good. I have both, so. How yeah. young are you? So, How young are you again? I'm, I'm 44. 44. You sound like a teenager, I love it. I love the, I love the radio. All right, start reading. Read it slowly so I can interrupt you with clapper vision. Okay, it says parrot beak type tear of the posterior horn medial meniscus, mm-hmm. probably involving the root with mild to moderate peripheral extrusion of the meniscal body. Okay, so that's a really big. That's like like a. When a rock hit here's a clapper vision. When a rock hits your window in your house, it breaks the glass. But when the same rock hits your windshield, it shatters. What you've described is a shattering of the meniscus, which goes along with the fact that you're in your forties. So go ahead, keep going. Okay. Uh cartilage thinning and irregularity ah. over the up. There you go. Here's the reason why we love your grandparents, uh, grandpa and grandma, but they gave you DNA. They gave you genetics that you now exhibit in your 40s, which is to create not rheumatoid arthritis, but osteoarthritis. What is the clapper vision of your knee? You not only 
wore out the linoleum a little bit in the kitchen, but now the plywood is starting to show underneath the linoleum. Capiche? So, so that horrible meniscus that you have is at least something. It's some linoleum. It's some cushion. If you let a surgeon go into your knee, you now are going to destroy the plywood that much faster. Capiche? So yeah. unless you tell me you can't straighten or bend your knee all the way, you are going to need Monday, Wednesday, Friday, walk a half an hour in the pool forwards and backwards, and on Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, ride a stationary bike. Also, not a big fan of physical therapy for you because I think they'll aggravate your situation. Mm. Keep reading. Okay. Um, the, latter, the lateral meniscus, mm, collateral or cruciate ligaments are intact. Good. There's no fracture. Good. Bone intrusion or malignant? Malignancy. You don't have cancer. Thank God. Okay, cool. All right. So you hurt yourself. You hurt yourself with a little bit of old stuff that's going on in your knee, and maybe there's some recent stuff. But I'm going to, the visual again, it's a blister. Blisters hurt. Make it into a callus. Yes. If you can't fully straighten or bend two, three months from now, that's a different story. But I would, my advice, don't let them give you shots, cortisone, stem cells, PRP. No. Be holistic. Get the book that oh, Linda, yeah. Ewing and I, Linda Ewing and I wrote. Do the exercises. It's now April. can't believe it. you believe it's April already? April. Mm-hmm. April, May, June. I don't know. June, July comes along. July. And your knee is still bugging you. That's a mm-hmm. different story. Until then, J.C., Listen, you're totally capable of, you don't need to just walk in the water. Your name is JC. You can walk on top of the water, right? On top of the water. That's right. Forget about it. (laughs) At least that's what I've heard. All right, young lady. What a pleasure to talk to you. You sound like such a beautiful person. That should help you. Yeah, you're very welcome. I I need you to find a total stranger today. Do something nice for them. That's how you'll be thanking me. Also, try Randy's Donuts, since you had a donut the other day. Try oh, Randy's Donuts. I, you know what? I'm going to reveal where the best old-fashioned donut is in oh, Los Angeles. Okay, okay, okay. I'm going to send you, but I'm going to be sending you to Ventura. I'll tell you the place to go to. Oh, my okay. God. It's worth the drive. It's worth the trip to go to Good Time Donuts in Ventura. Oh, I'll tell goodness. you where it is right now. All right, young lady. Thanks so much for all okay. you do for all of us. Appreciate it. All right, Warriors, we'll take a break. The lines are all lit up, but next segment I want to do where there's a will, there's a way. We talking about the weekend warriors? Let's talk about the warriors. And I don't mean the Golden State Warriors, the professional athletes. But hang on the line. We'll see if we'll do some clap revision with you guys as well. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors show here on 710 ESPN. Hey, it's John Ireland. You know there is no better way to start your Saturday than with the man who replaced Michael Thompson's hip, Dr. Clapper and the Weekend Warrior Show, 7 to 9 a.m. Saturday mornings. Don't miss my show, Mason and Ireland, back Monday at 1, all here on 710 ESPN. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. At 42 years old, you know what your new nickname is for me? (laughs) Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. You're not Matthew from Santa Monica anymore. You're Mr. Preop. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. Doesn't that put you in a mood? That was the mood I was in on Thursday paddling with the spray of the ocean in my face perpendicular going right into that apartment building building in the ocean 
up straight vertical up the wave and then down the back as I paddled out beyond the break. Then I turned my board around and waited. I kept looking at the horizon. Where is that bump coming from? Ah, there it is. Turn the board around and start paddling. This 11-foot, 50-pound board that I'm riding, thanks to the great Duke Hanamoku, and feel the hand of God touch the board and allow me to stand up and ride it in. What a great day I had on Thursday. All right, one of my favorite segments. It's called Where There's a Will, There's a Way. We're going to do some clap revision with the warrior, not just the weekend warrior. So, Will, what do you have? What are you thinking about this whole week? So, first thing I'm thinking about is a team that's near and dear to all of our hearts, and that is the Los Angeles Lakers, who lost again last night. No surprise there. Mm. What is surprising to me, though, is Anthony Davis comes back from a midfoot sprain, and he has no minutes restriction. He plays... 36 minutes and change, almost 37 minutes, only bested by 37-year-old LeBron, who played 39 minutes. And they have five games left on the schedule. They're two games out of the play-in tournament, so they're technically not in the playoffs right now. And their last five games are against Denver, Golden State, Phoenix, (coughs) Oklahoma City, and Denver again. So I don't see them winning enough of those games to make it into the play-in tournament. So I think they're going to miss the playoffs completely. At this point, with a mid-foot sprain in Anthony Davis, who seems to get hurt by stubbing his toe on the end of the bed frame, uh, should they just rest him for next season? Is there any point in playing him? or is the, I'm scared that this mid-foot sprain could be a recurring injury, or is this an injury that once it's healed, you're good to go and it doesn't matter anymore? Great question, Will Orms. So, have you ever in your young life been to a foreign movie? I'm talking about a movie where there's subtitles. So the movie, let's say, is in Italian. One of my favorite movies, top five movies of all time, Swept Away. It's uh, made by Lena Wertheimer, the original I'm talking about, and... There's scenes where they're full-on speaking in Italian, and it's English subtitles. I mean, the whole movie's actually like that. And I don't want to see it in English, which I would understand. I actually prefer the subtitles. But my point is is that you see these people on the screen. They're talking, talking, talking. You don't understand because you don't speak the language. But you got to read in English underneath the subtitles. That is what you witnessed last night. There's a basketball game going on. And it is in a language that you and I don't understand. And we almost need it to be translated. Because as an orthopedic surgeon, yeah, I can give you all kinds of reasons of what's going on with Anthony Davis's midfoot. But here's a few things for you to think about. Number one, when you are Paul George, for example, who's hurt his elbow, and upper extremity. Yes, it affects his shot and all the rest of it. But whenever we talk about a professional athlete, let's talk about basketball, and an upper extremity injury occurs, guess what they can still do? They can still run. They can still maintain aerobic conditioning so that when it is healed, whether it's their thumb, Chris Paul, all kinds of upper extremity injuries that we've been exposed to, 
As soon as that's healed and they don't have pain, they're back because they can come back to NBA shape immediately because they could maintain their aerobic conditioning. But when you have a midfoot sprain and you've been out this long and now it's healed and it's pain-free, that's different. You've not been able to get to the starting block and just go like it's upper extremity. So one of the most curious things about this foreign movie we saw last night is there's no minutes restriction. He played over 30 minutes or whatever it is that you said to me. So something is in need of translation. There's no downtime. Are you kidding me? When you have a midfoot sprain, you come back there. Of course, there's going to be a minute restriction. Why is there no minute restriction? And why can he play so many minutes? That's something that's really interesting. Is it really that futile? Are they really without a real chance of making the play-in and winning two games in a row, which I don't think they've done in a long period of time? So then you have to start to ask yourself, is Anthony Davis playing? Because the Lakers want other teams to see him play? Is that what's going on? That's where the subtitles come in. Something is going on that we may be seeing it in one language, but it's happening in another language. Will, from an orthopedic standpoint, is this going to be another injury to his foot? No, he's healed. He's healed, he's healed, he's healed. You get going. There's no residual. He's not getting arthritis in the future. This is not going to be a problem. Once you heal that ligament, one might even argue the scar tissue makes it even stronger than it was before. So there's less likely that this will happen again. So I'm not worried, but it's a foreign movie. Okay. All right. That Yeah, that is very, very curious to me. At, if, in my personal opinion, if I'm the Lakers at this point, I sit both him and LeBron and just call it a season. I, there's no point in risking further injury in my perspective. Therefore, something else is the reason, and it may be they want other teams to see Anthony Davis. Wink, wink. Yeah, maybe. So speaking of coming back from injury, another player who had a really surprising return from injury in his first game back was Paul George. He scored 31 points coming back from an elbow injury. I mean, honestly, that was really shocking to me. So I want to kind of talk about, because they're actually legitimately a better team than the Lakers, which is sad to say at this point, uh, Paul George and what kind of things does he have to look forward to with this elbow injury? Is it something that can potentially develop later on down the line into like a chronic thing? Or is he just good to go, ready to go all the way? Many years ago, Steve Blake, and we had his wife actually as a guest on the show. Uh, she was terrific. Um, he tore his ulnar collateral ligament. And in the process, I think coincidentally, he wound up being traded and wound up on the Golden State Warriors. Never had surgery, treated in a brace, went on to heal, and uh, no big deal, was able to play against Steve Blake. Great guy, great player. So not every ulnar collateral ligament injury in the elbow, which is the Tommy John injury in baseball pitchers, and I think Corey Seager when he was with the Dodgers also. So it happens in people other than baseball pitchers, as you say, even in Paul George. So let's let's do some clapper vision of what exactly is going on in the elbow that makes it the ulnar collateral ligament and what you need it for. Look at your elbow, straighten your elbow, and flex your elbow, okay? That's a hinge, like a flip phone. That's a hinge. 
But now, go and try and turn a doorknob. Go and try, if you're in your car, make the volume of the Weekend Warrior show louder or less loud. Rotation of your wrist. But you're actually rotating your forearm. That comes from your elbow, believe it or not. It comes from the radial head. So the two bones in your forearm, the radius and the ulna, the forearm bones, not only allow you to flex and extend your elbow, but you also actually have to rotate. And we call it pronation and supination. It comes from the elbow. The ulnar collateral ligament, which is if your palm's up, the little finger, the pinky side of your elbow, that's the medial side. That's where the ulnar collateral ligament is. And that's where the hinge, pure flip phone, pure hinge action of the elbow occurs. It's on the thumb side of your elbow where the rotation comes to be able to rotate palm down, palms up, uh, the radial head. So we're talking about where the hinge portion. And in many respects, it's a lot like your ankle. On the little toe side of your ankle, you don't just have one ligament that goes from your shin bone to your foot. You actually have three ligaments. But the clapper vision is these three ligaments are like you making uh, a number three sign with your fingers. Straight down, those ligaments go north-south on the little toe side of your ankle, the lateral side of your ankle, to give stability and a little bit of rotation to your ankle. But they go vertical. There's no horizontal ligament from your fibula to your heel bone. They're, they're vertical. Your your ulnar collateral ligament, however, has a horizontal, has three, three portions to the ulnar collateral ligament, but two of them are vertical. But one of them is purely horizontal. And my clapper vision is, I was thinking about this in the shower this morning, early in the morning, was a matchbox, uh, not a matchbox, a ma- uh, matches. Not the box of matches, but you know how matches have that folding over, right? Uh, what would you call that, where matches come? How you basically have a, a match case or whatever, not a box. That actually is a three-sided object, right? The matches, then you have the vertical, and then you fold it over to cover the matches. It's three folds, if you will, that makes the mechanism of whatever you're holding the matches in. That's exactly what the ulnar collateral looks like. It's, it's a horizontal and two verticals. It looks triangular like the matches uh, that are being held. And... When it tears, this is the issue for Paul George and for everyone else who has an only collateral ligament tear, it will heal. But will it heal longer, millimeters, than it's supposed to? Because if it does, then exactly right, Will, you'll have a chronic problem and you'll need surgery. The key is to get it to heal at the exact length that it used to be. And that's what you have to look out for. So if you notice, I don't think he played a back-to-back game. Correct. They sat him down, and that's the reason. you got to evaluate the soreness and feel the stability. Did it heal? Yes, it healed. But did it heal to correct length? And that's what you need to see to decide surgery or no surgery. Perfect. All right. It gets us to 8 o'clock. Coming up next, what a great segment. The where There's a will, there's a way. I love this, Will. Thank you. The callers can stay on the line. But coming up next, I'm going to tell some stories about what I want to talk about at 8.15 with our guest. The greatness of Duke Kahanamoku, the father of surfing, 
was that he rescued the vehicle, the surfboard itself that allows you to ride the ocean waves. And you know how much I love the world of art, rescuing another kind of riding waves, sound waves, George Harrison and the sitar from Ravi Shankar. I'll explain coming up next on the Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN.